Well, good morning, All Saints Online and St. Andrews. Thank you. I paused until somebody said something, so that could have gotten really awkward really fast. For those of you who may not know, my name is Chris Smith. I'm the other, other Chris, not to be confused with Pastor Chris or Drummer Chris, or, um, but yeah, I'm the other, other Chris. And I am so overwhelmed with joy to be the digital campus director for St. Andrews and for All Saints Online. And before I really get into it today, I just wanted to first of all say thank you to you as a community. Um, the last, I'm just going to be open and honest here, the last three or four years have kind of felt at times for me like I was writing a long Taylor Swift breakup album with the church. So I just thank you for coming along and being my Travis Kelsey, okay? Uh, so thank you so much for that. And yes, uh, I do also have to start with an apology um, because I think that this morning, these next few minutes is kind of a reflection of, of me working through these past few years. Uh, but also, I have to apologize by um, saying, camera people, I appreciate you. I see you, I do move around this much, and I am so sorry, okay? Like, I dart around a lot. I'm gonna do my best, though. Um, but as I said, my name is Chris. My wife, Nikki, and I have two ch children uh, that will show you up on the screen here. Um, that's our two kids. We have Luna, our Aussie, uh, and then we have our newest member of the family, Max. He's our Yorkie Poo. Uh, he's like eight week ish old. I don't know exactly how much, but uh, those are our two children. And because I can hear my oldest daughter being offended over here, we do actually have five human children as well. Um, but, you know, it, we'll talk about them at some point, maybe. Uh, but yeah, we have five human children as well, ranging from 18 down to eight, I think. I might be off by a couple of years, but I'm close enough, all right? But I know what you might be thinking, but Chris, you don't look old enough to have an 18-year-old. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I have a great, like, facial routine and all that fun stuff. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, um, but Chris, you look like you have five kids over the age of 18. <laughs> like, keep your thoughts to yourself, okay? <laughs> Meanies. Um, but hey, we are on the cusp of another year, another opportunity to take steps towards positive change. Look, I know, standing up here, I, I can say to you that I hate resolutions. I hate making them. I really hate trying to follow them. But so many of us make them. And if it's anything like the ones that I make, typically it's like by January 2nd that sugar out the door in 2024 is quickly replaced by chocolate wrappers all over the floor. Here's the deal, New Year's resolutions are all about perspective. Like my family and I made a goal last year to be more healthy as a family, and I can tell you today that we lost around 180 total pounds as a household in 2023. That's right. Like I said though, it's all about perspective. Because our 18-year-old graduated and he moved out. So as a family, it counts, okay? Like that's a point in the win column. 
So it's all about perspective. <laughs> but all joking aside, as we gather for church this New Year's Eve, I'm going to challenge you to ask the question, what would it look like in 2024 if we dared to dream of a world that loves like Jesus? What would that look like even a year from now? What would it look like for all saints online and for St. Andrews? Here's the thing, you know, I've been a part of and I've worked for a lot of different churches. And I can say that this community is already doing an incredible job of loving like Jesus. But today is about dreaming of what it could look like to expand the ridiculous love of Jesus even further. And you're going to hear me use that word quite a few times this morning, ridiculous. Because that is how I would describe the love that Jesus modeled for us. According to the Oxford Dictionary, only because I wanted to sound smart, ridiculous means unreasonable, absurd, and ludicrous. Well, this morning we are going to see that is how Jesus loved. And I want to challenge all of us to love even just a little bit more like that in 2024. As we get started this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, where we find a profound lesson on how Jesus loved radically and completely without prejudice. I'm going to read from the Message Bible. Later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and misfits? Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite in outsiders, not coddle insiders. So Matthew 9, 10 through 13 is set in a context where Jesus is challenging societal norms. He dines with tax collectors and other, I love that word, disreputable people, who most translations of the Bible call sinners. Now the term sinner in these verses is a little bit different than what you might think of when you hear that term. Because that term here is referring to anyone who did not live religiously especially those who did not follow the Jewish customs around food. Think about that for a second. The overtly outward-appearing religious elites labeling everyone who doesn't agree with them as sinners or disreputable. This feels like something we see in abundance of today, especially in many who claim to follow Jesus. As we continue to move through these verses, we see that, that the Pharisees, or what I'm going to be calling the religious elite, believe that Jesus should have the same religious convictions as they do, and they felt that they were backed by Scripture. In other words, they were trying to make Jesus into their image, and they were using Scripture to back it up. But herein lies the problem. What the religious elite were doing goes against the very nature and love of Jesus. Like the religious leaders in this story, I see so many people today use the name of, uh, use the name of Jesus 
to push an agenda of fear, of hatred, of bigotry, and of every obic or ism that you could ever think of. And they will use the Bible wildly out of context to justify their hatefulness and their hurtfulness. And the problem is that that's not Jesus, and you cannot use the Bible to defend something that is indefensible. What Jesus was doing by having dinner with this group of misfits was not just outside of the cultural norms. It was scandalous. These, and, and to be fair to, to the religious elite, as I'm calling them this morning, I truly, because I, I am somewhat of a good-natured person, an optimistic person, I'll even say that they were probably well-intentioned. But they were exhibiting an attitude that prioritized ritual purity over compassion and mercy. Jesus corrects them by pointing out that it is, it is the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. In his message a couple weeks ago, Jake presented a similar view of the church community when he rightly compared the church to a hospital. And if you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to go back and watch it or listen to it. Just look up All Saints Online and you will find it. Hashtag shameless plug, okay? <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> After this, Jesus makes a reference to a verse in what we now call the Old Testament. That's that first kind of like two-thirds of our modern Bible. This verse is Hosea 6, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to would have definitely been familiar with the verse that Jesus was referencing. And we're not going to go to it this morning but it makes the point that a right relationship with God requires the right treatment of the poor, the oppressed, the outcast, over adhering to religious ritual. Or in other words, living and loving in a way that honors God is more about how we treat the poor, the oppressed, the outcast, and the misfit than it is about how good we can practice our religion. So what does that mean for us today? And what does it have to do with showing the ridiculous love of Jesus? And how should we respond to that same love? Well, I want you to imagine for a second a table. A table where everyone is welcome, regardless of their past or present, because this is what Jesus' table was like. It was a symbol of inclusivity and grace. But here's the thing about that table. No matter how full it is, there are always empty seats for someone else. Jesus' love and mercy is for all. And I don't know about you, but I am one of those misfits. And because Jesus' table was open to the tax collector, and it's open to the disreputable, and it's open to me, I have to make sure that it is open to others. We cannot act like the religious leaders that we see in the story today and gatekeep the love and grace of God. Instead, we need to open our hearts and extend our hands in love to everyone. And we respond to the ridiculous love of Jesus by getting a little ridiculous ourselves. This means offering our time, our talent, and our treasures to inviting the world to share in the love of Jesus. 
This meal that Jesus shared was at the beginning of Matthew being called as one of Jesus' closest followers. It was a beginning, not an ending. Matthew left that table and he lived out the love of Jesus by giving that time, talent, and treasure to following and serving alongside him. This is one of the ways we live out the ridiculous love of Jesus in our world today. By being willing to offer our time, our talent, and our treasures in a ridiculous way to living out and expanding the reach of Jesus' love. Let me tell you about someone who lived a ridiculous life in response to the ridiculous love that Jesus had for him. So back in 2010, I spent a few weeks in Haiti. And we were in uh, this area of Cap Haitian. It's, it's the second largest city in Haiti. And it's kind of a, a rough city. A little bit dangerous. You kind of have to be on your guard and be watchful there. And we were traveling in the back of this pickup truck. And we are going to what they called a compound, which is where we were staying. And I don't know, call it being naive, but when I thought, oh, we're staying at a compound... I'm thinking like a chain link fence, right? Like to keep the dogs from getting out. But we pull up to these giant concrete walls with barbed wire on them. And we pull up to these big red metal gates with armed guards. Now, I don't know if this made me more comfortable or less comfortable at the time, but we pull up this just like truck full of people And these guards walk around the truck, and one of them finally just stops and goes, are you supposed to be here? And we go, yeah. And he's like, all right, go on in. (laughs) Like, okay. But here's the thing. We were going over our schedule because what we were doing there is we were, one, just learning about the culture. But two, we were um, helping a pastor. He was from Capation from Cap Haitian, and we were just helping encourage him, helping him in his ministry in any way that we could. But this man, because of the love of Jesus that he felt in his life, he had become the pastor of five different congregations. On a Sunday, he would spend his entire day, he would start at one, drive to the next, then drive to the next, then drive to the next. And when I say like five different congregations, I'm not talking about, it's like, well, there's one over here and, you know, there's one over in Elkhorn and then there's one in North Omaha. We are talking like between a couple of them was more than two hours of travel time. And he did this every week. And he spent time going to each one of these communities that he served. And he did this for years Because he wanted to show the love of Jesus to everyone he came in contact with. And he was mentoring leaders and he was, um, you know, presenting God's love to anyone who would listen. But as I said, it was a dangerous area. And so as we're going through like the schedule and we're just trying to figure out how we're going to connect with like five different congregations over the course of like two weeks, And we're walking through it with him. And I'm just going to call him Lou for the sake of the story. And we just go, you know, hey, Lou, does does 
this work for this day? And he's like, yep, just got to be home by dark. And we're like, okay. And it's like, all right, Lou, does this work for day two? And he's like, yep, just got to be home by dark. And we're like, okay. And we get through like six days of this. And every single time we say, does this work? And he says, yep, I just got to be home by dark. To the point where I finally just stopped and I said, hey, Lou, is there like a reason why you have to be home by dark? And he goes, no, no, it's not a big deal at all. And we're like, okay. And so we kept going and, and we get a couple more days in. And he's like, yep, I just have to be home by dark. And at this point, I just paused and I, I said, Lou, why do you have to be at home by dark? Like, why is that so important? And he's like, well, you see, last week I got kidnapped, but it was just a little one. I'm like, hold on. Hold on. Um, Lou, where, where I'm from, there's no such thing as a little kidnapping. What is a little kidnapping to you? And he's like, oh, well, they, they took me. They picked me up off the street. They took me. They only kept me for like 24 hours. They fed me, and they dropped me off relatively close to my house. It was just a little one. Well, what is a big kidnapping? And he's like, oh, well, you know, they've taken me for like a month and, you know, only fed me here and there and dropped me off on the other side of the island and like all these different things. And I'm like, this is common to you? And he's like, yeah, it's just one of the things that happens when you are talking about Jesus in this area. And the reason why he wanted to be home by dark every night is as he said, well, you know, my wife is just a little concerned, but, you know, I'll give her time to, like, you know, kind of, we'll, we'll work through it, and then it won't be as big of a deal. That, that was his reasoning, and it was all because he was willing to go to ridiculous lengths to share the ridiculous love of Jesus. And we may not ever be asked to respond in such an extreme way as Lou, but his example shows us that even when it's difficult, even when it seems impossible, and even when the religious people around us keep trying to make the love of Jesus exclusive only to those who they agree with, his story tells me that we need to be a community where all are welcome truly means all. And although we are already pursuing that as a community, let us continually find ways to expand our table to more and more people. As we step into the new year, let us dare to dream and commit ourselves to love like Jesus. Where love, compassion, and acceptance are the norms. And although I've talked this morning on the personal level, this isn't an individual challenge. It is a communal one. I want you to take a look at this photo. This is a screenshot from this room last week. As cool as it was to be in the room during this part of the service, I can tell you watching it online was just as amazing because this is what we saw. 
As I said, this is a screenshot from our services last week. And each one of those candles represents just one person in our community. Imagine the impact we could have if everyone at All Saints Online in St. Andrews embraced this call to love like Jesus. We would have the opportunity to create a ripple effect of love and acceptance both in our communities and beyond. So here's the deal. For almost 2,000 years, people have said and thought, Jesus is returning soon. And they've used that phrase to guilt, to shame, to manipulate, and to divide. For almost 2,000 years, and we're still waiting. So I propose we try something different. Instead of just waiting around for Jesus to return, how about we bring a little more Jesus to the here and now? And we can do that by loving God and loving others in such a ridiculous way that when the arrogant religious elite say, you can't love like that, but the marginalized, the oppressed, the atheist, the other faith follower, and everyone in between looks at us and says, I would break bread with you. In that moment, we are living out the ridiculous love of Jesus. This is what it means to bring Jesus into the here and now. Because that is how Jesus modeled his love for us. And that's how we are called to model it as well. Matthew 9, 10 through 13 teaches us that Jesus' love was ridiculous, it was inclusive, and it was transformative. So as we bid farewell to this year and we welcome a new one, let us carry this message in our hearts. Let us dare to dream of a world where a love like Jesus's is not the exception, but it is the absolute standard. Let us love radically, ridiculously, inclusively, and unconditionally, which, hey, also means loving those people that I keep calling the religious elite. Let this be our New Year's resolution and our lifelong commitment.